0: Hello and welcome to this week's podcast with me Sean Cottrell, the founder of Law in Sport. Today I'm joined by the Director General of the World Anti-Doping Agency, David Howman, to discuss the changes put forward in the revised WADA code, anti-doping in the Major League Sports in the US, and to ask his views on the establishment of an agency to combat match fixing in sport based on the WADA model. The World Anti-Doping Code is the core document that provides the framework for harmonised anti-doping policies, rules and regulations within sports organisations and among public authorities. The 2009 code is currently under review, with the 2015 code to be presented to the WADA Foundation Board for endorsement at the 4th World Congress on Doping in Sport in Johannesburg in South Africa later this year. David Howman commenced work for WADA as Chief Operating Officer Special Counsel in March 2003 and took over the position of Director General in August 2003. His involvement with Wilder was as an original Foundation Board Member representing Oceana and as Chair of the Wilder Legal Committee. In addition, he served as Chair of the Independent Observer Team at the Winter Olympic Games in Salt Lake City 2002 and the Deputy Chair of the Independent Observer Team at the Sydney Olympic Games in 2000. To start off the interview, I asked David if he could tell us about the Wilder code review process and what Wilder hoped to get out of this
1: well it's not the first time we've done it we did it in 2006 and it culminated in a review of the initial code and the standards uh, at the end of 2007 we are big believers uh, that rules should not be in concrete they should be uh, living documents that look at the needs of sport and the needs of athletes who want to participate uh, in a clean environment so what we have done on this occasion, we started this process at the end of uh, 2010, uh, 2011. We started by ad- advising everybody that we were going to go through uh, a total revision and we invited people to make comments or submissions and since then we have produced a number of drafts of documents taking heed uh, of the submissions that uh, people have made uh, and the current draft was published just earlier this month, uh, hoping that it will be a document that will be tabled at our World Conference in Johannesburg. There might be a few rough edges still to be worked through, but we've had essentially three consultation periods where we've sat down with the people who have provided submissions to talk them through uh, and end in in these documents.
0: And uh, who are the parties that you're sitting down with and how important is it that you engage with all the stakeholders?
1: Well, I think it's most vital that we at least give people an opportunity to be engaged. Some choose to be and some don't. But we invite uh, all of the governments of the world to be so engaged. We've invited all of the international sports bodies in the world to be engaged. And, of course, we engage uh, the athletes. So uh, those three major stakeholder groups are the ones that we go to. Uh, Within them, there will, of course, be substrata or subsets of um, Groups like the National Anti-Doping Agencies and, and and other groups that we've also spoken with, and what we do really is um, look at the submissions that are provided. Uh, there will be a lot of consensus in relation to some issues, and and so they're not too difficult to proceed with. But you'll find that you know there'll be three or four or five that are disputed or require a little bit more debate and discussion, and and those are the topics that we key in on and and talk with as many people as possible about.
0: During the review process, what what have been the sort of main uh, areas where people have have had differing views or would like to see a a greater change in the code?
1: Well, I I think that that falls into two groups. The first first category is is where there have been some uh, major discussions, and one of those has been the criteria for putting substances or methods on our banned list. Uh, we have a a set of criteria in place at the moment where you have to satisfy uh, two of the three. One is performance enhancing. Uh, The second is contrary to the health of the athlete and the third is contrary to the spirit of sport. So if substance satisfies two of those three, it can be put on the list. Uh, There was a great feeling out there that that ought to be changed so that performance enhancing was a mandatory requirement and, and... one of the other two, a secondary one. That debate has really not been completed, but at present it would seem that uh, the status quo is going to be uh, the consensus position that people will accept. So that's been quite an interesting uh, up-and-down discussion over the last 18 months. I think the other areas where we've received a lot of um, comment is the area of sanctions and the fact that people generally want stronger sanctions, um, and we've had to be very careful on that to ensure that whatever we draft is commensurate with the laws relating to human rights and proportionality and, and natural justice and so on. But now, the most serious offences, which are the steroids and the EPOs and so forth, will receive a four-year sanction uh, on a first offence, whereas in the past it's been two years. So. That's a significant shift uh, both in terms of uh, opinion from people around the world but also in terms of support from, from the law because I can recall 15 years ago where courts were striking down uh, sanctions of four years. So th- th- there is a shift um, perhaps in society as to how important um, the fight against doping is. And
0: do you think that's because people are more aware of, of, of it? Is it because it's become more in the public conscious, because journalists have, have engaged more with you guys, or are sports um, bodies and the anti-doping agencies just become more sophisticated and better at communicating this?
1: Well, I think it's due to all of those. I think certainly the, the attention that is paid to uh, cheating in sport by the journalists has been significant, and I think a big wake-up call was delivered uh, when USADA issued its decision in the Armstrong case because many journalists involved in sport were asleep when this was all going on uh, and and were game enough to say so afterwards, and I think that, that, that deserves a little bit of recognition as well. So there's, certainly the media attention is helpful. I, I think also, though, so, um, the public itself is, is sick of people cheating and getting away with it, and, and that's not just sport. It's, it's other elements of our society, including politicians and, and journalists and, and lawyers and so on. And and those within the public who are of good values and and clean living people are a little bit sick of that. And when you look at the the numbers involved, I think you'll find that there's a huge majority in in that category. And so they would prefer cheaters to be dealt with more harshly. Then you've got to balance the law. So we have to be very careful that, uh, what we're doing is, is within the boundaries of, uh, as I say, proportionality and, and human rights and so on. So, we've engaged this time around a former uh, Chief Judge of the Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg and, and asked him for an opinion uh, on various aspects of, of the code and the changes. And, and we've got that opinion now and we'll be posting it on our website.
0: Oh, great. And, and any idea when that will be up?
1: Well, it should be up within days. Um, we've got it, of course, it, uh, he's provided his opinion in French, and so we've got to make sure we provide a, um, an accurate English uh, translation and, and others if necessary. So we're just waiting for that to come through before we, before we post it.
0: Great. Look forward to that. So moving on, can you tell us about the amendments that have taken place uh, with regards to Article 10.4?
1: Well, I mean, 10.4 has been an interesting uh, article over the last six or seven years, and there's been consideration of it by several tribunals, and and some have um, construed it in different ways from others. And I think what we've tried to do this time is to make it more um, comprehensible, if you like, and to ensure the flexibility that is required for, if I can loosely define it as inadvertent doping, is, is... fully supplied. There are still some out there who disagree with the the redefining of the section or rewriting of the section and I think uh, we haven't heard the end of it but we've we've tried to listen to those who have had to practice it whether they be uh, the athletes themselves, uh, those who have been aggrieved by uh, certain allegations against them and and the lawyers who have been involved but most importantly the tribunals who, who have had to address it. So that's the reason for the uh, clarification if you like of that article and I, and I hope it works
0: before we came on air we had a good discussion around uh, third parties and their involvement in athletes doping so that may be any member of their entourage or other people who are loosely associated with athletes and then this is covered by provisions in article 2.10 but what can you do to ensure that those people who are loosely involved are actually sanctioned and prevented from being involved with athletes um, in the future
1: Well, look, I think this is one of the biggest issues confronting uh, those who are engaged in the anti-doping community. It's not just the athletes who do these things. It's those around them who persuade them. And on many occasions, the athletes are quite innocent and naive and do what they're told by people who should know better. The the real uh, issue for us is how to address those individuals and how to effectively sanction them. What we have understood for quite some time A sport doesn't have all the power to do that. Uh, you know, to be sanctioned by a sport, there has to be something uh, that you have and, in terms of either membership of the body or, or a, a link which enables the sport's body to um, discipline you. So we look more to other areas like uh, can be provided by governments and in, in regulating doctors or regulating lawyers and so on and ensure that complaints can be made Uh, and sanctions imposed by the right authorities. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we need to warn athletes of the bad guys out there who might wrongly influence them. So if we do become aware or alert to those who are cheating and and cajoling others to cheat, then we've got to tell the athletes not to associate with them. So we've introduced this new clause, which is effectively prohibited association, uh, to try to bring together a list of those who are, as I say, the bad guys and and warn athletes. And if athletes don't heed that warning, then they're going to be subject to some disciplinary process themselves. Now, that is not the end of it, because I think we do need to work more and more with governments about uh, dealing with The rogue doctors and the rogue lawyers and the rogue coaches and so on, and and it's a it's a work in progress.
0: So that's really good to hear. So is there going to be a list of characters who shouldn't be involved in sport or in contact with athletes?
1: Well, that's what yeah, that's what we're asked to do. I mean, for the clause to have effect, you have to notify the athletes. So to have to notify the athletes, you have to pass on names. Uh, And what we will need to do is make sure we can do that in such a way that doesn't offend. Uh, laws of privacy and data protection and so on but i 'm sure i 'm sure we can achieve that
0: it's a very it 's a very complex role isn't it Wilder? is in a very complex place you you've you mentioned it on a number of occasions now You've dealing with all the various uh, jurisdictions uh differing laws and all the time trying to balance that how has that been and how has that evolved, and what have you learned over that process
1: well yeah that was it was a reason that we were formed, and it was a challenge that we had to confront early on and harmonizing rules to prevail. In every country of the world, and in every sport of the world, is, is not an easy task. Uh, you, you can you can look around the world and, and all sorts of other issues relating to society, and say, well, it hasn't been achieved anywhere else. The UN hasn't managed it, and and, and uh, you look at simple things like driving with alcohol or or speed limits and and driving and so forth. There's no universality in that. Now, what we've been able to do, and I think this is to the credit of uh, all our stakeholders, it's really really not us, it's it's them, because they've accepted it. We have an international treaty which accepts the code, and there are 174 countries that have ratified it, which is probably one of the highest uh, ratified international conventions in in the world. We have... uh, more than 600 signatories to the code, to involve every international sports federation and, and um, many, many others, including all the national anti-doping agencies and so on. So uh, it's been done through consensus, but also uh, through commitment by those who want to have the harmony. And our job is to lead that and to make sure that it can be delivered. Uh, the results then are more satisfactory to athletes around the globe because they all know they're operating under the same same set of rules.
0: I'm sure you've been asked this on many many occasions and I'm fascinated myself personally I know that a lot of the lawyers who who write for us are involved in law and sport feel the same in terms of integrity around uh, match fixing and spot fixing and gambling as a whole. Do you think there's lessons that can be learned from WADA that can be applied to engaging with all of the stakeholders to make sure there's something meaningful there that actually is enforceable and is progressive enough to, to deal with the challenges as they evolve?
1: Well, well I you know, I think if, if people don't learn from what we've gone through, then they're stupid. I mean, we, we, we've had to uh, look at ways and means of constructing a set of rules that prevail in, in every country and for every sport. Um, it's the same sort of thing you're looking at to stamp out some of the other evils that uh, sport confront. So you're looking at doing things in, in the area of illegal betting or whatever they want to call it, uh, corruption in sport, bribery and so on. They're all legs of the same uh, issue of integrity of sport. They're all parts of protecting the values of sport. So I don't know why you don't just expand what we do to encompass others. It, it, it's not a water objective. Dope, anti-doping or doping is is one leg of, of the value that needs to be protected. Uh, the others need protection as well, and if you don't have an international body covering it, uh, you're probably never going to get past go. So my my view, and I've been quite um, strong on it, is that the 10 years that we've been in existence, or it's a bit longer now, um, should be looked at to see what can be gained from it and to see how you might structure some... Uh, international body protecting the integrity of sport. I don't know. I don't care what you call it. Uh, anti-doping would be one arm, and so WADA would prevail, it would provide one arm. But you might look at an overall board uh, which would involve governments because you can't do these things uh, without governments, uh, and involve others who might be part players in one or two of the other aspects, like the the world lotteries people and, and betting organisations and so on. But if you don't do it. Um, and you don't take heed of of what's gone on. I think you, as I said, you're probably stupid and, and even even a little negligent.
0: Yeah, I'll have to agree with you on that on that point. Um, when you were talking, I was thinking about the international aspect of anti-doping, and there's been some big scandals over in the states, particularly in baseball, with regards to doping. Um, are any of the major league sports signatories to the code?
1: No, they're not because they are private bodies. Uh, with no link to either government or to um, Olympic funding or Olympic sport, nor to any international federations, except for the times of the year when players from some of the major leagues might participate in the Olympic Games. So what what we've always had is a challenge to try to encourage the major leagues to uh, get their rules closer to ours. Uh, Baseball, is a very interesting example because they had a very, very big problem and a major controversy in what they call the steroid age, uh, which led to the Mitchell Report, which was published um, a few years ago. As a result of that report, they essentially woke up big time to the problem that they were confronting and have addressed it. Uh, And they've addressed it in a very progressive way uh, in discussion with us, I have to say at all times, both with the the owners and also with the plant associations so we've had a very good relationship with them in terms of um, assistance and we don't tell them what to do we can't but we certainly give them advice and, and try to encourage them to get closer to us what they've got in place now is uh, is not code compliant uh, therefore doesn't get the gold star but what they are doing in terms of their testing program is hugely uh, significant because it's um, better in terms of quantity that most team sports in the world um, uh, should look at. So uh, my concern always with team sport is you could be part of a, uh, a team and go through your whole career without being tested, such as such as the vagaries of it all. But baseball, you're going to be tested six times at least a year. So from a quantity point of view, they're doing uh, much more than others. What we need to do is check the quality of that, of course, and that's something that we're talking to them now about. So that's the reason that we've highlighted that. What we've looked at in terms of team sports is how could they do their testing programs better, uh, and that discussion is is ongoing.
0: Well, it's great that it's a a collaborative exercise, and and, and that's encouraging it, I think this is this is the point we're all fighting well in theory anyway at least fighting for the same thing and this is the the, to protect the integrity of sport and even if even if as you said that they're not a government entity or or part of an international federation at least you can still work and as you said learn from from the experiences and draw from that and introduce better systems and processes which can be adapted and and worked on and refined going forward In that interview, David mentioned the World Conference on Doping that's taking place in Johannesburg later this year. Uh, Before that, the South African Institute for Drug-Free Sport is hosting an international sports law conference in Cape Town, South Africa. The Playfair Sports Law Conference will serve as a curtain-raiser to the World Conference on Doping in Johannesburg. Speakers at the conference include David Howman, who you just heard from, Edwin Moses, Olympic gold medalist and USADA chair, and Professor Steve Cornelius from the University of Pistoria. If you want to find more information out about the conference, you can go to conferences.drugfreesport.org.za. Thank you for tuning in, and remember, if you want to find out all the latest expert commentary and analysis on the latest issues and legal developments in the world of sport, you can go to www.lawinsport.com or follow us on Twitter at lawinsports.